Hello, you are about to listen to another episode of Beyond Clean, a podcast where we talk about everything that is healthy, positive, and proactive. I am your host, Dave Thompson. Yes, we are in Season 4. We broadcast out of Orlando, Florida. This is where the cleaning industry talks about everything that is healthy, positive, and proactive. We would love to have you on the show, so reach out to me, D. Thompson at academyofcleaning.com or at 888-999-6059. Be sure to listen to our live streaming that we will be doing this year on Podbean. Now, for today's show, let's get started. Folks, we are live again this afternoon on Podbean Live. It is a Thursday afternoon. We're a little bit later in the afternoon than normal. We usually broadcast at 1 o'clock. It's 3 o'clock today. But there's a special reason. Now, if you've been with me this week, you know we've been kind of all over the world map this week. Golly gee, it's uh, it's Podbean podcasting time this week. You know, I've been teaching a lot of classes and haven't had the time to get on this, so we're kind of taking a break off uh, from live instruction of classes and talking with people all over, all over the world. Today is no exception because Christian Harris is with us. He is live with us from the UK. Christian, are you there? I'm here, Dave. Yeah, how are you doing? Good, good. Well, uh, let's uh, let's first of all, Christian, just kind of tell people who you are, where you're at, and uh, why you're passionate about cleaning. Sure. So um, I've got a business called Slip Safety Services, and uh, we kind of do what we say on the tin. So we specialize in fluid accidents, which uh, tend to be the biggest cause of people getting injured and insurance claims in most sectors. Um, We partner with a number of insurance companies uh, like Marsh and AIG, and AXA, for example, uh, all kind of multinational brand names. Uh, and then the other side of, of the business is all around floor care, particularly looking at the grubbier end and the, the hard-to-clean end of, of buildings, so things like pool sides and changing rooms and kitchens and um, busy office entrances or shopping mall entrances, thing, things like that, environments that get a lot of foot traffic um, that uh, typically have uh, textured floors from a health and safety perspective and uh, the day-to-day cleaning struggles to keep them in, in the right kind of condition. And then, um, you know, working in some of the environments that I've mentioned, particularly in like health clubs and, and, and uh, kitchens, we obviously have uh, quite a lot of expertise around hygiene and that's clearly come to the forefront in the last uh, few months with, with everything that's going on with COVID. So that's the, those are the three kind of areas that I um, particularly specialize in. Now, folks, you might uh, be wondering, how in the world does uh, somebody in the cleaning industry in Florida get in contact with somebody in the UK? Well, you know, it's this wonderful thing called LinkedIn. Uh, yeah. We've been watching each other's posts and stuff, and Christian reached out and so uh, we thought it'd be kind of an interesting change of pace, kind of like the doctor in uh, Australia, um, because uh, the issues that we have, you know, sometimes we just kind of think, Christian, that they're just local and they're not. No, absolutely. I mean, I think that, uh, that there's clearly something cultural around cleanliness 
Um, so, you know, if we think about Europe, for example, the, um, the, the countries like kind of Sweden and Denmark um, and some of those uh, Nordic countries, they have more of a culture of uh, investing in cleanliness and, and therefore, you know, they, they don't have this kind of vicious circle of uh, cleaning contractor comes in, um, they, they, they lower their prices, they lower their margins, the, the standards go down. Uh, and so on. They they seem to invest in it and, and do well. Um, so there are some differences, I, I think, kind of culturally when it comes to that. But but the the piece around obviously hygiene right now that's 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 uh, uh, relevant to everybody around the world. And and the, and the whole slips and falls thing. You know, if you look at the data from different countries, uh, it's all very very similar. Um, typically, a third or more of accidents, um, a third or more of insurance claims and costing. You know, ridiculous amounts of money. I, I read somewhere that for for you guys in the US, the cost of slips and falls uh, is something like one percent of GDP or some crazy number like that. So you know, we've we've definitely got uh, uh, commonalities. And um, in terms of how we got to, got in touch with each other, you know, perhaps this internet thing might catch on. You never know. <laughs> well, I think you know what you're talking about, though, is is that it's not unique to a certain area. Um, if it was, you wouldn't see everybody doing the same thing. Wash your hands, wear gloves, put on a mask, keep your environment clean. Now, how we do that might be different, but the importance yes. isn't. No, absolutely. Um, I mean, we have, uh, we have different guidance, for example, in, in the UK between England and Scotland, because we have this kind of devolved administration. So in Scotland, for example, they're talking about um, people wearing masks uh, now, um, whereas in England, we're, uh, the government is still kind of resisting that for some reason. Um, and I know for you guys in the States, you know, you have um, federal uh, rules, but then you have kind of state-by-state state stuff as well. So it's kind of similar to that to some extent. Um, but yeah, the, I mean, I, I think, I don't know what your view is, but I, I kind of feel like um, for, for those of us involved in this industry, uh, albeit that obviously there's a, there's a huge... Um, human cost and and some devastating effects of, of this virus I, I do think that in the long run there will be some positives from it in that people will take these issues a little bit more seriously than perhaps they did before well i know here in the states we're definitely seeing that already you know as a purveyor of education and certification courses you know we have seen uh, like a five-time maybe six or seven even increase in people's awareness and thus they're, they're coming, you know, for the knowledge, for the education. And, uh, you know, I guess Christian, you know, we're still, we're still going through it. So we don't know what this is going to yeah. look like uh, in another six months. No, um, we, we probably don't know what it's going to look like in another six days to be fair. But um, <laughs> I, think, I think we, I think we can see, I mean, I, I've been doing a lot of educational content as, as you know, around just trying to explain to people, for example, you know, the, the fact that you can't um, disinfect a building without cleaning it first, because that seems to be foreign, uh, oh, foreign oh, information oh. to some people, which is you know, that, that, that concept just seems to be foreign to people. Doesn't it Christian? Yeah, it is. It's crazy. I mean, I think it doesn't help because a lot there's there's a lot of um, a lot of companies who have uh, because of what's happened you know they've kind of decided oh we're gonna we're gonna get into this world and so you've got people who maybe aren't um, that knowledgeable about it you know they're not specialists in cleaning never mind 
infection control or anything like that. And I wouldn't say I'm an infection control specialist, but I know about hygiene um, who, who are jumping on board and, 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 and they're probably thinking, oh, well, if we go and kind of get our Ghostbusters PPE and we get one of these foggers and we just go in and we, and we <laughs> say to people, yeah, we're, we're going we're gonna to kill this virus for you. Um, then that's good enough. And unfortunately, um, because the, the, the building owners and managers and the clients aren't educated enough, they kind of think, oh, well, that's, that's good. It looks good. It looks credible. Um, we'll, we'll get that done. And, and, and so there's a lot of, uh, you know, I'm not saying people are kind of deliberately misleading um, uh, building managers. I'm sure there's an element of that, but I'm sure that's a, a very small proportion. But, but there is a lot of stuff going on that I think is... Uh, is not very good and so you know just trying to raise awareness is, is critical because you know the last thing you want if you're um, the, the owner of a manufacturing facility or an office building or a or a gym or whatever is that you think you've sorted this out and actually you haven't and somebody gets sick and and, and um, you know that's that's going to be a very difficult situation for you to deal with for all sorts of reasons. You know, one of the things that I've uh, seen on one of yours, and then, you know, if you look on LinkedIn, folks, uh, you'll see on uh, Christian's, I guess, your, uh, your your front page there, you know, it says hygienically clean. And I think this is one of the terms that we use in our infection prevention certification course. Um, explain to the listeners today your v- version of hygienically clean. Sure. So we deal with um, what what we don't do is like operating theatres and things like that. So um, here in the UK, there's guidance for healthcare settings, which would include things like that. And then there's guidance for from the government for non-healthcare settings. So we, uh, as I say, we, we, we focus on the non-healthcare settings. We're going the, the, the showers or the leisure centre or an office building or a manufacturing plant or whatever it might be. Um, but in simple terms, what we're doing is is actually doing a very thorough process of clean uh, to remove contamination, remove biofilms and all that other stuff, which is a prerequisite to actually be able to disinfect something and make it hygienically clean, uh, disinfecting it. And we're, we're typically using either manual processes for that or using kind of electrostatic um, spraying um, and then testing um typically using an ATP test because um, we're wanting to give people an instant result rather than, you know, sending something off to a lab and having to wait 72 hours because they want to open their building up again. So making it more scientific, making it more of a process um, and trying to do it properly and not, so not rushing in saying we're going to fog this or we're going to spray that, but actually trying to do this in a, in a um, professional and, and serious way. Well, you know, you said a, a number of things that go right down the lines of our of our course, and you haven't taken our course, so that means that we're both on the no. same page, right? Yeah, no, I haven't taken your course. Yeah, no, and, and so that's the that's the neat thing. Um, I, I love the fact that you said that uh, you use the ATP. You know, we always school the students that everything else you do is is pretty much just hit and miss unless. You can monitor the outcome, and of course, we use the ATP as well. Um, what do you feel when you're talking about this about rinsing after using chemistry? Needed, not needed, or and eh, well, well, whatever. Um, 
Uh, rinsing is critical when it comes to cleaning. So I, I often use the analogy of your dishes at home. So if you don't have a dishwasher um, and you have, um, I don't know, some Indian food or something or Chinese and it's kind of sticking to the plate and, you know, really contaminating the plate, what do, what do you do? Well, you, uh, you soak your, your plates with some dishwashing liquid in the sink um, but that doesn't clean the, that doesn't clean the plates. You know, the, the chemical and and the soaking doesn't clean anything. The, the cleaning um, process, and what I define as cleaning, is the removal of contamination. And it's not until you rinse those plates off that the contamination is removed. And when it comes to you know hard surfaces and particularly floors, where I uh, do focus, you know, I see so much cleaning. Uh, well, what, what what they say is cleaning that doesn't include any kind of rinsing at all. And therefore, all you're doing is spreading dirt around. So, you know, to, to me, that's a really critical part of, of any proper cleaning process. Well, you went exactly to where I was hoping that you'd go, Christian, because, you know, this is the thing I say, is we, we need to apply our chemicals to the floor, agitate them, and then we need to rinse or extract, uh, you know, yeah. this putting our chemicals in a mop bucket and just mopping dirty water around has got to stop. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as I say, we do a lot of work in health clubs and what we see there a lot is you, you, you may often have kind of showers on poolside or, or in the kind of corridors between the changing rooms and the poolside. And what you'll see there is that the, the floors around the shower are pretty dirty typically, um, whereas in and around the shower, they're very clean. And that's because there's a constant stream of water going over that floor and it's constantly removing the contamination. The contamination isn't being able to sit within the tile. And that's just a great demonstration of how important it is to, to rinse. Um, I mean, I, I've, I've kind of come up with a, um, because of the fact we look at slips and trips as well, I've, I've kind of come up with this idea of 3D cleanliness. So we, we talk about um, trying to measure and monitor standards. And by that, I mean, it's, it's subjective stuff, but it's how does it look um, what does it feel like when you touch it and how does it smell? Because all those three things are visceral and, and give you an indication of how clean a, a surface is. Uh, then there's the hygiene perspective of number two. So, you know, what, what's the bacteria and how is that changing over time? And then the third thing from a floor perspective is the slip resistance because you can have a floor which looks clean to the naked eye but actually has kind of invisible contaminants present. And if you were to slip test it, it would show you that it's, quite slippery uh, whereas when you clean it properly then all of a sudden it's not slippery so there's three kind of elements there that, that we try to um, educate people about particularly about floors uh, and ways of, of monitoring and assessing just how effective their cleaning regimes are so i am not a fan of a mop regardless of whether it's microfiber or or not now i won't say one doesn't do better than the other, but I'm still not a fan of the mop. Um, when it comes to floors, I am a fan of cylindrical auto scrubbers, and we have them all the way from 12 inch to the big ride-ons. Uh, you have a viewpoint, I'm sure. Yeah, um, kind of the same really. I think mops, you know, um, don't really achieve much, and they and they kind of give people a bit of a false sense of security. But then again, if you were to stop, uh, well, this wouldn't happen now, of course. But if you were to stand in a shopping mall and stop the first hundred people that came past you and say, have you cleaned the floor? They would probably say with a mop and bucket because that's um, what people know because that's what they do in their homes. 
and actually within your home where you've only got four or five people at most, you know, typically uh, in that building and you're cleaning it, let's say once or twice a week, you know, that method actually can work because there's limited contamination uh, and um, you're probably quite diligent with what you're doing. But trying trying to use that method in uh, some washrooms where you've got a thousand people a day going through it or a shopping centre or a train station with, you know, 10,000 people a day, um, it's just not fit for purpose at all. Um, in terms of machines, we um, the cylindrical machines uh, work very well, particularly on textured floors and resin floors. I'm quite a fan of the um, oscillating machines, like there's a manufacturer called Tomcat that do them, which I think is a US manufacturer, and they, they work pretty well on lots of floors um, if you've got the right pads on them as well. I know Tomcat very well. I used to distribute them. Uh, oscillating machines, different manufacturers have them. Uh, we happen yeah. to use Tornado and Triple S here. But, you know, regardless, it's still the technology of, I think, the rotary machines, as we're talking this afternoon, you know, they have their place, but they're becoming very limited. We've used them for well over 100 years. That doesn't mean they're the primary machine today. No, no. Absolutely, but then if you go into most um, most buildings, that's what that's what they have. So it's kind of figuring out a way of, of showing them how to get the best out of it if they, you know, are stuck with that machine um, for any period of time. But I mean, hopefully, we can always get people to change one way or another. Well, Christian, yes, we have to make the best of what we have. Uh, but as I say, you know, a lot of times uh, we continue to put chemistry in the machines instead of applying the chemistry ahead of the machine and letting the machine rinse. Yeah. I think we yeah. would be much better with all of these if we would actually, you know, just like we do with carpets, we pre-spray the carpet and then we extract it with water. We, we do the yeah. same thing when we're talking about disinfecting a surface. We pre-clean, remove the soil, and then we disinfect and rinse. Um, yeah. But yet when it comes to floors, we have this mentality of let's just put the chemical in there, slap it on the floor, and maybe we'll suck it up, and maybe we won't. Yeah, well, I think it's it's kind of, uh, as I said earlier, there's, there's a bit of a challenge around. You know, my view is that most people and most businesses, if you ask them, would say that they value cleanliness, but they undervalue and underinvest in the delivery mechanism of achieving cleanliness, which is cleaning. So they say they want things to be, they say they want cleanliness, but then they don't invest in cleaning. And well, the old two sides of the mouth with, then, huh? Yeah, exactly. But I think, I think, I think that's, that's pretty, uh, pretty spot on as an insight, but you, you end up therefore with, you know, uh, big, big train stations or shopping centers or whatever, where you've got, you know, five hours a night. Of, of time to clean and they've got one person on a scrubber dryer trying to whiz around 50,000 square meters well of course the floors are going to be dirty um so i think you know that to me there are a handful of kind of key drivers uh that, that, that cause poor standards poor outcomes when it comes to floor cleaning but, but you know certainly this over-reliance on machinery and the the lack of understanding about what it's really doing you know a scrubber dryer machine um, the ideal process, as you say, is is, a, is apply, agitate, well time, rinse. Well, what, a scrubber dryer, how long is it actually putting that chemical on the floor? Like one second? How much <laughs> agitation is it giving? Half a second? So 
it just isn't really doing anything at all on 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 those types of floors. I, I would say, and, and I think what I tend to advise people to do with any machinery, um, depending, of course, on how much time and stuff they've got. But you know, if if, if they have to do um, with around daily because that's all the time they've got, well, that's fine. But then once a week or once every other day or once a month or whatever they can do, um, yeah, get get the chemical out of that machine. Just have water in that machine. And I mean, we we um, put the chemical down separately, give it some time, and use the machine for agitation and rinsing. I mean, we're we're my business is primarily a or we are, we're a service based delivery business. So we go and deliver deep cleans, we deliver anti-slip treatments, we deliver floor restoration and sealing. And we spend more time rinsing floors than we do with any chemical on the floor and scrubbing floors, um, because as I say, that's the bit that's cleaning. Well, you mentioned, uh, you know, transportation systems, trains and so forth. And I was watching a deal, um, a little bit of a clip this afternoon where they were showing in New York that they were shutting down the subway system now from one until five in the morning in order to deep clean. And then I, I that caught my ear. So I turned around and looked and here is a person with a string mop, a yeah. filthy bucket of water and the whole time that the reporter was talking, they were mopping the whole um, um, segment, the whole uh, piece of the subway, that one car, with mm -hmm. the same mop for the whole yeah. car. And I'm thinking, yeah. okay, so maybe that's better than what they were doing before because they weren't shutting them down at all. Mm. But then to your point of slip and fall, um you know, think of all of the debris that is still left on that floor because that yeah. mop just couldn't pick it up. And yeah. and yet they're saying that we should all feel better about this. Yeah, it's uh, unfortunately, you know, again, I don't know what it's like for you there, but the if, if I speak with um, people that are skilled and experienced in, in the cleaning industry here, um, you know, they, they would say that, the knowledge of how to clean has, has, has disappeared over the last uh, decade or 15 years. Um, you know, there was a generation of people that kind of knew what what, what floor cleaning was about, um, or, or even, you know, just generally cleaning it. Um, but, but, but they've kind of gone and, and, they're, and they're replaced with people that, you know, they're very good at um, deploying staff and, uh, and, and managing contracts and things, but actually that kind of knowledge and expertise has gone. Uh, so if you couple that with you know the commercial realities of of contract cleaning, and I and I'm not here to bash uh, contract cleaners because actually, um, you know whenever I've gone on behalf of a client to look into the detail of what their uh, their contract says they have to deliver versus what they are delivering, there's very little difference. Often the the difference is not between what they're supposed to be doing and what they are doing. It's between what best practice is and what they've signed up to do, and that's. Right. It's not just down to them. That's also down to the client because if the client, you know, if the client said, "Well, we're going to pay a gold a gold standard price," then of course they should expect a gold standard delivery. Um, so do you think gold standard delivery for bronze plates? Christian, as you're saying that, so uh, you know, I hear this all the time. You know, we have job bidding and you know workloading classes that we that we deliver and everything, and mm. and I hear this all mm. the time that, oh well, you know, that's what the RFP is, and I said, okay, so. Whose responsibility is it to inform and to change and move? And I'm like, you know, many times I have found in my career that I can 
let's say, move the RFP to what more it should yeah. be because many of these purveyors, just as you said, they don't really know what they're talking about. They just have something that they've been doing the last 10 years. And yeah. I think that we have to take some of the responsibility here, do we not? Yeah, I agree. I, I think it's difficult, though, because, um, you know, it's such a competitive market. And, and we, you know, I don't do any day-to-day -day cleaning, so I'm in a slightly different world. I'm doing kind of periodic and specialist uh, work sure. slightly different but um you know the challenge if you're operating a cleaning company is that there will always be without doubt somebody that's willing to come in and bid for a lower price than you and therefore actually you know my view would be you should be trying to upskill upsell and do a better job do a five-star job and actually that means that you know you're probably you, you probably reduce your overall um potential number of clients but, but my strong view and my experience is there are enough clients out there that actually are willing to, to spend more and invest more if you can prove to them um, that what you're going to do is actually working. And that's, again, where this kind of measurement piece comes in. Because if you can say, you know, rather than saying, yeah, yeah, we'll clean it and it's going to be 5% less, say, well, actually, no, you're going to need to spend 10% more and here's why and here's how we're going to monitor it and here's how we're going to prove it. And actually, people will buy into that, in my experience. So yeah, there's definitely, you know, uh, a role for the for the contractors to, to to play there. But it's a bit of a it's a brave move. So, you know, it's it's um, uh, it's their business. So it's down to them on how they how they uh, manage it. Well, as some people say, the slippery slope. I need to take a break here and, and let everybody know that we are sponsored this afternoon by Jim Supply. They are a distributor of uh, cleaning goods in Central Florida, where they have been improving lives with cleaning supplies since 1930. We are very happy to be sponsored by them. Give us the ability to have these, well, worldwide chats. I, man, I tell you, this is an interesting week this week. Uh, uh, an Aussie on one week, a day uh, and an Englishman on another day. I guess tomorrow's Friday. You just got folks. You're just going to have to deal with a good old, just plain old American boy again. Um, Christian, you know, the thing is, you brought up something earlier in the conversation this afternoon. You said you work with insurance companies and everything. And I find that interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, um, it's something that, um, to be honest, Nobody else in my space seems to be doing here. And I don't know whether they are anywhere else in the world or not. But for me, it's been a very valuable thing to do because, uh, firstly, it's, it's added to my knowledge significantly. So I really understand, you know, what they're looking for, how they go about pricing, how they go about managing claims and how they go about advising their clients to reduce their risk. Um, secondly, it gives me a huge amount of credibility to be able to, to badge myself with, with some of these big um, brand names that everybody has, has heard of, clearly. Um, and, and also, it, it unlocks a lot of uh, interesting scenarios. So lots of people probably aren't aware of, of this. Um, but in many cases, there are kind of pots of money available from insurers for clients to use to reduce the risk of accidents and insurance claims from happening and as i said at the start if you look at most uh, sectors and most types of business their biggest cause of, of claim is slip and fall and therefore the insurance companies are, are actually willing with you know um not blank checkbooks but fairly significant sums in, in some cases to invest in helping you to better understand uh, why these things are happening um 
to take some steps to try and reduce that risk and to monitor and maintain that over time because it's in their financial interest to do it just as it's in the interest of, of the client. So it's certainly something that people haven't heard of, but it's, it's, it's an angle that, you know, listeners should be thinking about asking that question, you know, is there, is there anything we can do with our, in partnership with our insurance company um, to try and reduce whether it's slip and fall risks or, or, or other kinds of risks as well. So is there any uh, advantages for the end user client uh, in working with you as far as uh, their insurance companies? Is there uh, rebates? Is there any kind of programs like that that, that works yeah. through this? Yeah, so every, every insurer does kind of slightly a different approach, but um, uh, you'll typically find that um, I'll give you an example. We, we worked with a, uh, an owner, a property owner that had about 30 or 40 shopping malls and a similar number of office buildings. And um, just simply by uh, engaging with us and getting us to go and do slip testing through all of their properties, um, which the insurance company paid for, they got about $120,000 reduction in their annual insurance premium. So they didn't actually do anything in terms of they didn't actually go and, and necessarily uh, go and reduce the risk. All they did was they just ex ex uh, expressed an interest in it and said, we want to understand this properly. Uh, the insurance company paid for all that testing and they knocked off money off of their premium straight away just for that. So that's one example. Um, but I mean, insurance premiums typically are derived by well, they're derived by, you know, what, what does the insurance company think it's going to cost them to insure you? And therefore, if you can demonstrate that you are taking pragmatic and proactive steps um, and, and manageable and, and quantifiable steps to reduce your risk of slip and fall accidents, you will tend to see um, a reduction in premium. And what you also see is that any, uh, any claims that do happen, you're going to be in a much stronger position to defend them. So, I mean, our clients typically see a reduction in accidents of anywhere between 50 to 95%. You know, we, we, we have had 100% before, but you're always likely to get an accident occasionally. Um, so, so you get fewer claims anyway. But then when you do have a claim, because you can go to the uh, to the opposing solicitor with a, a big stack of evidence of, you know, we've done this, 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 um, that kind of scares a lot of them away. And it means that you can end up saving a lot of money even when there is an accident and even when there is a claim, you know, your average cost of say $10,000, your average cost might reduce to $5,000. So you're getting fewer claims and lower costs, and that's going to have a big effect on your premium in the uh, following year as well. So do you, um, I, I would make an assumption here that you use slip meters and possibly get called in to verify situations? Yeah, we do that. So it, here in the UK, there's a, a test method called the pendulum test, which isn't um, isn't big at all in, in the US. Um, that measures the dynamic coefficient of friction, and, it, and it's what the HSE, which is our government health and safety um, body, um, used. So it's the only test that's recognised in court cases, for example. Um, there are other uh, testing methods around, but, but we typically just use that. Um, and so, yes, we, we, we do that for our own purposes to help uh, educate our clients and, and solve their problems. But we also do 
a fair amount, um, kind of me personally, I suppose, rather than the business of kind of expert witness kind of work. Uh, so, for example, I had a call a couple of weeks ago from a solicitor, a lawyer, who was acting for, um, I guess, one of our competitors. It was a, it was a floor uh, company, floor maintenance company, and it was a, a slip had happened in a spa, and the claimant was making a claim against the spa, the cleaning company, and the, and the floor uh, maintenance business. So they were kind of trying to sue all three um, companies. So we're going to be going in and doing some testing and some um, verification of what's happened and what hasn't happened and, and see if, you know, that, well, we won't be there trying to help the defendant because we have to do that in an impartial way, um, but going and seeing if, if we can try and navigate through the complexities of that, see if we can come to a, uh, an outcome that, that helps to finalise that uh, that claim one way or another without having to go to court and rack up huge amounts of costs. So we get to see some quite interesting stuff. Yeah, I was gonna. I was just thinking that myself. I, I you know, there's probably some situations you get into that, uh, uh, pardon the pun, get a little sticky. Yeah, I remember one uh, which was a um, uh, on a cruise ship, and uh, it was a gentleman who I think it was on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day or something like that, and he was walking into um, a washroom on this ship and basically fell and um he, he fell and he suffered a, a a cut on his cheek but he alleged he'd slipped and as i'm sure you know and, and the listeners will probably figure out you know if you slip you you lose your footing and it slides away from you and you fall backwards and whereas this guy had fallen forwards and <laughs> it, 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 it it struck me that, um, and there were reports of, of you know, alcohol and his breath and blah, blah, blah. It struck me he was probably just a bit worse for wear and, and thought he'd try and make a claim. But um, So we've seen some interesting things like that. Um, a very high-profile case that I got involved in was uh, where a, uh, an elderly guy was went to a local supermarket and there was a, um, a leaking fridge and he slipped and banged the back of his head and actually died as a result. So that was kind of eerie going in and, and looking at that. Like, you know, somebody had actually died, and, and that does happen. You know, it's um, you get a handful a handful a year of, of direct direct deaths from slips. You know, obviously lots of people die from falling downstairs in their own homes and things like that. But in terms of you know a traditional slip where the floor's wet and and someone loses their footing away from themselves, um, you do get some some deaths from that as well. You know, Christian, as we've talked through this this afternoon, you know, we started talking about COVID, which is, you know, the pandemic that everybody is uh, dealing with right now. And, uh, you know, we we talk about the deaths there. You know, here we are just talking about what other people would consider, oh, you know, just a slip and fall. And here at the end of this, you're still talking about this can cost a life as well. You know, yeah. what we do in our profession protects people. I, I say everything that we do is risk management uh, in some way, shape, or form. And, and you've just confirmed that for me. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I think that the perception of people in our industry has increased, you know, and improved in the last couple of months because, you know, 
you mm -hmm. you can see that, that that we're out on the front line and we're actually the ones you know if there is an outbreak of this disease this virus you know we're the ones that are there getting rid of it we're physically just as the doctors and nurses are putting themselves in harm's way so are we so I, i'm hopeful again that this will lead to some more investment and some more um value understood that, that, that you know what we do does bring a lot of benefits and it is it is about risk management because actually more now more than ever um people are going to be paranoid about and fearful about their health going into buildings and everybody now knows that they've got to be clean and safe and hygienic and therefore you can't expect people to walk into a building that's been closed for a couple of months and for it to be a bit grubby when they come back in because their, their reaction is going to be what the hell have these guys been doing for the last two months why don't they care about me uh i i, I i'm not, i'm not coming back here and actually you know that's your reputation gone and, and your reputation you know both in both personally and in business is your biggest asset and you've got to protect that at all costs and, and so actually what we what we do is managing the risk uh, for your reputation, never mind anything else. Well, we're about ready to release here a, um, um, well, a fairly comprehensive food service uh, course. And in preparing and putting this together, we've come to the realization that uh, the food industry, you know, while they are there to put food on our on, on on the table in front of us wherever that may be in whatever environment the overall lying thing that they've never done really well and by looking at the protocols that they've written is how to take care of the facility in a healthy and safe way and so yeah. this is why we're getting involved in help bringing professional cleaning to that because you know as we are in some cases in some places uh, opening back up and uh, we're allowed to go back to restaurants. You know, this is what people, you're, you're, you're very right. The perception of the, the establishment is going to be looked at and scrutinized so much more than it ever has been, brings the value mm -hmm. to what you and I do. I appreciate your time this afternoon. I've got two questions I always ask people, if you don't mind, oh. before you go. Cool. Yeah, sure. Where were you born? As long as, as, as long as it's not my bank account details. No, 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 no. Where, where were you born? <laughs> I was born in a place called Kettering, which is about um, 75 or 80 miles north of London in, in the Midlands. Okay. And on your personal bucket list for this year, what's the number one thing on your personal bucket list? Um, the main thing I'm... We got married in a, a beautiful place called Positano on the Amalfi Coast in Italy. Um, and so far, uh, this will be in July, our sixth wedding anniversary. And so far, we've been back there every single year for our anniversary. And I don't think that's going to happen this year. Um, mm. but, I'll, but I'll be really sad if I don't manage to get back there this year. So it, it's a bit boring because um, it's something that we do regularly, but it's kind of, it, it, it's uh it brings back such happy memories and it's it's probably the highlight of my year so i'm really kind of hoping that one way or another we can figure out a way of, of safely getting back there and and enjoying um the sea and the sand and the uh nice wine and, and great food well i do hope that you can get there christian thank you for being on our show this afternoon and uh bringing your insight 
we'll keep up with you on LinkedIn. Uh, do you want to share any information for people to get hold of you if they'd like to? Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks very much, Dave. And, and actually, it'd be, it'd be great to maybe get you onto my show as well, because um, I'm doing some uh, uh, some interviews and stuff. So I'm sure we, that would be that would be good. Um, best ways for people to get hold of me are yeah, find me on LinkedIn. So if you search for Christian Harris Slip Safety, uh, I'll be the one that comes up. Uh, the website is slipsafety.co.uk, and on the website there's a couple of potentially interesting tools that we have so we've developed something called the slip safety scorecard uh, so that takes about five to seven minutes uh, you answer a number of questions about your building and um, it will then generate and send you a bespoke report as a pdf which will give you a score based on the six areas of, of why somebody might slip um, and, and give you some advice on how to improve uh, and, and benchmark yourself against best practice. So that could be of interest to people. Um, and we've also got another another tool around um, sort of specification of floors from a slip perspective. So again, answer a few questions, but, it, but you know, fundamentally it comes down to what sector are you in and what type of environment within a building are you looking at? And, it, and it'll give you some advice on um, the kind of minimum uh, standards you should be looking for in terms of slip resistance. So a couple of interactive things that... That people could uh, get their teeth into. Well, you know what? Uh, we'll have to uh, hook up sometime and maybe, uh, yeah, like you said, I can get on your show and, and uh, we can return the favor the other direction. Perfect. Folks, you've been listening to another episode of uh, Beyond Clean with Ace. We usually try to broadcast every afternoon, but uh, it's been kind of a, well, messed up schedule here lately. We're not going to be doing any broadcasts uh, for probably the next few days, but I will tell you that on Monday, we have Douglas Henley. He is with Owens Realty, a building service contractor in the Orlando, Florida and Central Florida area. He's going to be on the show, uh, well, kind of talking about, well, the challenges for building service contractors and what they're going through. It's kind of neat. We've uh, been doing this for about uh, three years now, and Everybody's wanting to talk now, so I guess everything that we do just takes a little time. It's catching on. We enjoy everybody that does come and listen to us, whether you're live or you listen to the recording. We've been getting a lot of feedback. We appreciate that. We're always looking for somebody to come on that wants to talk about something. Yeah, well, you know, our three words, healthy, positive, and proactive. Christian, thank you for your time this afternoon, and folks, uh, for yours as well. <laughs>